surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and today's episode, I will give a little bit of a trigger warning here, even though I have my own feelings about trigger warnings, which maybe we'll get to in a future episode, but today's episode definitely might be triggering in some ways. So take a deep breath with yourself, check in with yourself. Are you ready for this? Do you have the mental capacity? It is okay if you don't, you can come back and revisit this episode, but there are also some major gems and uplifting and relatable and connective things in in this uh, interview today. So I'm really, really just so many feelings about sharing this episode with you all because I hope that you, I really, really hope, I mean, all the episodes, I hope that you share with folks if you're learning something, if it felt beneficial to you, if you felt seen in it, I hope that you are able to share it with other people in your life. Uh, And today's episode, I really hope that you share because there's some action items today and a way that you can really help a family going through something and no family should ever have to fucking go through. And yet we do kind of see this happen repeatedly. So before we get more into this, this is a really important reminder for me in talking about uncomfortable things, right? And talking about things that not everybody's going to see eye to eye on, right? And talking about things that are going to elicit a lot of emotions for a lot of different people, right? So open ears, open heart open mind. Can we open it all up? Can we listen to another human, share their experience, and it be valid and not challenge it and allow it to exist? Can we hold space for that? I think that is so important that we do that when someone is being vulnerable And especially when this is an experience that maybe you cannot relate to, that you trust and you listen to what this other person has to say, right? Because if it's not an experience that you've ever had, maybe you have questions to help better understand, right? You might disagree with some things, but you don't got to challenge their, their experience, especially when it's not an experience that you've ever had. So let's have an open mind, an open heart, and open ears today. So today we're going to be getting into some racial justice. We're going to be getting into some police brutality. Uh, We're going to get into some interracial relationships and a, a bunch of mental health as well. And again, one of the reasons that I so thoroughly enjoy having this podcast is that I connect with people online who I feel like are my internet friends, you know, and feel like I know them because I follow their lives, right? And then I get to invite them on this podcast and actually have a deeper conversation and also share their voice, right? And kind of use my platform in a really fun, hopefully helpful way. So 
I'm really, really excited today to have uh, Shaughnessy Schroeder on the podcast. And if you don't follow her, I hope that you do go follow her and check out her page. Uh, Before I share her interview, I do want to share and read some of her posts to give a little bit of background story because I'm not going to have her have to kind of divulge all of this information again. Um, And again, action items, I'm going to go over a few before we get to the interview and also go to her page. They are all on her page. So here's the first post I'm going to read to you. On March 5th, 2021, Gregory Small Jr. attempted to take... Oh, hold up. Let me rewind. Uh... I've gave, given a trigger warning on um, police brutality, on race, and there's another one. So uh, also a trigger warning that suicide will be brought up in today's episode a little bit. Um, and definitely check in with yourself. If you don't have the capacity for this, if this feels like it will be too triggering for you, then I really, really, really want you to take care of yourself however you need to, okay? Um, Mental health and mental illness are so important to have awareness around and so important to understand the complexities of the human experience and what we are all navigating through. Um, And so if you need to take a minute, I hope you take a minute. Um, I'm going to continue with reading this first post and it is police, police brutality, um, racial trauma, um, suicide. Um, just know that what you're about to hear is not going to be easy to hear. Okay. So on March 5th, 2021, Gregory Small Jr. attempted to take his own life during a manic episode. His mother called 911 to help de-escalate the event and save his life. When police arrived, Gregory was cutting himself with a knife. Gregory was shot four times while he was running from the rear of of his home to the front, which placed him into a critical medical condition. Gregory is being charged with a felony assault. Uh, Singham, I might not be pronouncing that correctly, Singamon County State's Attorney Dan Wright said in a news release that Chatham, Illinois police officer Adam Hahn was justified in using deadly force and will not face charges. No surprise there. Gregory was raised in the village of Chatham, Illinois. He is an active member of Cherry Hills Church where he has attended with his family since childhood. He is a self-taught coder and an Eagle Scout. All members of our community deserve to feel safe, valued, and respected. We need officers that are capable of responding to mental health crises. We must speak out and advocate with members of our community. The family has been released to share information. So the family was taken into custody. The mom was. Um, So that was March. And things have changed since then. Um, I'm going to read another post and then I want to give you some action items. So about a month later, so this is in June, Shaughnessy posted, it has been over three months since Gregory was shot four times by a police officer on March 5th. 2021, during a manic episode where he attempted to take his own life. Gregory was charged with a felony assault while in critical condition, even though he did not touch the police officer. 24 hours after his family spoke out on so, to, to social media on May 11th, 
an, an offer was made by state's attorney Dan Wright to lower the charges to a misdemeanor. The offer was denied, and the request continues to be made that all charges against Gregory Small Jr. are dropped. Thousands of emails have been sent to state's attorney Dan Ray and Chief Foley on behalf of the public. Over 20,000 signatures were enclosed, are enclosed on the petition and have all charges against Gregory Smalls dropped to have all, small, all charges. Um, she lists some of the emails here uh, so that you can see those. Uh, State's attorney Dan Wright stated that Officer Hahn was justified in using deadly force and Adam Hahn will not face charges. Gregory was diagnosed prior to this episode and he deserved to feel safe, valued, and respected. Mental illness is not a crime. Thank you for continuing to speak out for Gregory. So, action items. You can contact State's attorney Dan Wright and demand that all charges against Gregory Small Jr. are dropped. Excuse me, Dan period Wright, that's W-R-I-G-H-T at C-O dot Sangamom, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing correctly, but that's S-A-N-G-A-M-O-N dot I-L dot U-S or 1217-753-6690 or... One two one seven seven five three six three nine eight. You can donate. Funds will be used for continued medical and legal fees, as well as ongoing lost wages and living expenses. You can go to PayPal.me/speakoutforgregory or www.gofundme.com/speakoutforgregory. You can also sign the petition and make an impact by standing in solidarity to encourage Dan Wright to drop all charges. That's change.org slash speak out for Gregory. My heart is very heavy and hurts reading all of this. Um, Shaughnessy has posted many videos and posts and has a highlights with all of these resources as well. So please, please, after listening to this episode, while we were listening to this episode, please go check all of this out, okay? Uh, there are things that you can do, and as you will hear later on in this episode, it makes a huge freaking difference. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, when these uh, systems, right? When the police department and the attorney's office, when they are bombarded <laughs> with um, messages, right? From social media that this makes an actual difference. So um, don't feel discouraged there. And I've kind of said all of that and we're not going to get into it a ton with Shaughnessy. There are many other things going on in her life that I'm excited to share with y'all and to get to know about her. Um, and this is something that unfortunately has came up in her life recently that for obvious reasons is devastating and very large. Um, so I want to share just a little bit about Shaughnessy after I've shared what's been going on with her family. Let's introduce her and talk a little bit about her, and then we will get into it. All right. So Shaughnessy Schroeder is on Instagram. She is a content creator, and she shares her love of fashion on social media while building a community with friendships. And she's all about the neutral tones, and she's all about positivity. You can find her at Shaughnessy Schroeder on Instagram. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. 
All right. Welcome to the show, Shaughnessy. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm just like, I'm really excited just to chat. Super Yay. Yay. That makes me so happy. I feel like I've followed you for a while now. I think maybe you might've followed me before I was following you. So I feel like, you know, a lot of things about my life, but I feel like I know a lot of things about your life now. And I feel like you're one of my like internet friends. Oh, I love that. I feel like, like we were just chatting not that long ago, but I really feel like your life story is very similar to mine. And I feel like I resonate with people who have similar experiences because mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just, it's very rare that people have very similar life experiences. And I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of yours are the same as mine. Yeah. Well, that makes me so happy because I feel like sometimes when I am sharing things online, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what is the point of this? Nobody cares. You know, what does it even matter at this point anymore? Um, so it is really nice to hear that it actually feels like relatable for you. Um, would you be open to sharing some of the things that feel relatable or that you've been able to kind of connect to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up in a very small town with a lot of white people. And Mm -hmm. there were not a lot of people that looked like me at all. Yeah. Um, So I think something that's really similar to me with your story is trying to fit into those spaces Mm -hmm. and not really being authentically yourself. Um, It took me a long, long, long time to like feel comfortable being like fully me and accepting every part of myself, even things that were different mm-hmm. than people around me. Um, and also just being vocal about opinions or thoughts that were different than the community I lived in. Um, that mm-hmm. took a long time. And I think I'm not really sure exactly where you live or if you still live in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me growing up in that community and then living in it most of my life, I feel like yeah, it's almost, it's really hard to transform into a different person without leaving that space. And so mm-hmm. going to university, I feel like gave me a time to kind of be comfortable being myself. Um, but I mean, I'm still, still a work in progress. Cause yeah. I, um, like I said, there's maybe a handful of people who have hair like mine, um, mm-hmm. a very, very small portion of people who even um, understand the concept of like, very basic microaggressions um so trying to navigate all of that while learning about yourself is Mm -hmm. something that can be like hard um and I feel like you've talked about that a lot and yeah it's just given me a lot of um I don't know comfort knowing that there's other people who like have dealt with the same thing too so yeah yeah it's a lot to unpack and especially if you are just surrounded by it you know you do kind of like you said have to remove yourself from that a little bit in order to have clarity, in order to be introspective into like what it even was that you've been experiencing this whole time. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, otherwise, like, that's just really confusing. Um, I did move around a little bit. And so I was able to kind of, you know, get outside of um, a lot of some of those spaces. But I mean, again, it's my family. So maybe different from you um, being biracial, you know, I have that whiteness in my mom, you know, I look at her and she's got the blonde hair and, you know, the white skin. And so it just brings up 
of the thing. That was a period of time that we didn't talk for a while. Um, and I had to kind of find myself separate from that. Um, so it's a, I'm, I'm glad to know that, you know, it, you are reminded that you're not alone. Cause yeah, I think, not. I think that like my family has been, um, like I'm not bi- racial by any means, but my skin is a lot lighter than people who, mm. um, have two black parents. And so a lot of mm-hmm. the time people would ask, you know, are you fully black or are you mixed or, you know, just yeah. lots of questions about my heritage or where I came from. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that when I wasn't comfortable wearing my hair in an Afro, like it is now, mm-hmm. um, and like big and beautiful and, you know, all these things, I feel like people almost felt like they could say things around oh, me yeah. that oh, they- yeah. <laughs> most definitely wouldn't say now. Um, and I was the same person then, of course I've grown, but had a lot of the same thoughts then that I do now, but I just wasn't as confident in my voice then. Um, but also learning to just like assimilate to the people around me, I feel like was what I tried to do best. Um, which is sad when you look back on it, but I have five siblings, um, two parents, you know, they've been together for like 30 something years and we've grown up in this community of like I don't know, it's like 17,000 people, I think. And ah. less than 1% of people in this town are black. So, um, you're in like Midwest, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of between, um, St. Louis and Chicago, but not near enough to any of those cities where you get the good parts of the city. You just are yeah. near like corn and cows and like yeah. people who, don't quite get how far behind they are in a lot of their thoughts. So mm-hmm. um, growing up in that, I think I just try to navigate the best I could. And now I feel like I'm more comfortable just talking about my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, than in that, I feel like I'm kind of going on a tangent, but in that you, you, it almost seems like the more comfortable I get, the more people feel like I am there to educate them. Yeah. Um so I don't know. It's it's a lot, and I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, but having so many siblings, I think, who have a similar experience is helpful. But seeing people like you, mm-hmm. who live outside of this community, who had pretty much a, like not the exact same, but a very similar experience, yeah. is comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I definitely. I mean, you know, I am knowing you in this stage in your life where I do see you being very comfortable, just kind of sharing and owning your experiences. And I think, you know, in my own introspection, I'm like, yeah, there were so many years that people did feel so comfortable to say all kinds of fuckery to me. And it's so uncomfortable. And actually like, as things are opening up a little bit, like as I'm, you know, kind of being around other people who are vaccinated, like hearing some of the things people say again, where I'm like, ah, fuck, here it is again, like in person, but online, especially, you know, throughout all of 2020 where you're not seeing anybody in person and you're experiencing it all online, but in a very different way where I felt like I really found my voice. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going mm-hmm. to say all this shit now that like, I didn't feel like I could ever say that I had to like, try to be the cool girl and be like, ha ha. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> like, what the fuck do I do with this? You know? And it's really, I don't think people realize like the courage and the interpersonal work that 
has to be done for people to get to the place of just being comfortable in their skin and being able to advocate for themselves, let alone for other people. Um, Because you kind of put yourself at risk, you know, if you're like, oh, actually, that really wasn't a funny joke because it's pretty racist. Like, how are you going to say that in a group of all white people? Yes. And especially like, (laughs) um, when you're already on the outs almost, you know, it's like, you're already not a part of the group. And I think that for me growing up, I tried so hard to do everything I could to be a part of it, Mm -hmm. not realizing that I'm never going to fully be a part of it because Mm -hmm. as a black woman, you're still always going to be on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just tried so hard to be a part of it. And I think I lost a little bit of myself in that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it definitely takes a lot of courage um, just to say things, especially to people who don't even have the basic, like, the basic understanding that, like, wrong, but it's, like, really, really wrong. But then to explain that to them, it's like you're going through all these levels of, well, this is what this is, and this is what that is, to get down to the bare minimum of, you know, don't touch my hair or, you know, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I've seen you kind of open up uh, recently about an experience because you're in an interracial relationship and you just purchased a home and you'd even kind of shared, and I'll let you share it, uh, but the experience that you had and as you were sharing it, people were kind of commenting and, and you were kind of like, well, you know, yeah, this is just like what it is. And so I'm just going to share it because it's just a part of my life. This is just the situation that I'm in. Um, and it's like, for some people, yes, that is so alarming to hear, but that also is because it has not been their experience and they haven't been exposed to other people who have those experiences, unless likely it's online. Um, and and I I almost forget that that's not a norm. Like I was telling my husband the other day and I feel like he we've been together for like 10 years and mm-hmm. he has a pretty good understanding of things that I've had to deal with or friends have had to deal with because yeah. he's actually seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a white person, you don't see it because it doesn't happen to you. So you almost feel like it doesn't happen unless you, someone's speaking up about it. But then at the same time, it's like the people who are experiencing those things shouldn't yeah, have yeah. to be the ones to constantly talk about it. Cause that's also like traumatic. So mm-hmm. the experience you were talking about for everyone who's listening um to buy this house um my husband and I bought a house in the water it's beautiful and yeah it is I mean just congrats all of it <laughs> thank you like, oh, <laughs> work it like I'm so happy for you in this space it's amazing yeah I mean we're so excited um never did I think that I would be living on a lake or have a boat or anything um I just feel really grateful Mm-hmm. to get this house I never looked at it like never once before we um put in our offer because the man who lived here he actually didn't technically live here he owned like six homes this mm-hmm. was one of them this was uninhabited but he didn't want to let go of it and he was I think I want to say like almost 90 or like um late 80s um, and our realtor made it known that I shouldn't come to the meeting to see the house or to speak with him about putting an offer. And um, as frustrating as it was to put in an offer and fully trust my husband that this is going to be a great house through pictures yeah. and things, um, it was something that I knew was a reality and it wasn't like a shock to me. Um, and whenever I share that on social media, I think a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that still happened. <laughs> 
Yes. What are you talking about? Like, I know like, you can't believe that happened. Like, <laughs> almost over half the population voted for Trump. What do you mean? Yes. <laughs> Literally, it's like there's there's ten people I know who had to do the, who have had the exact same experience, um, mm-hmm. and maybe they haven't been vocal about it. I don't know, but you know, I think when I shared it, people just were really surprised. But then it started making me think. There are so many experiences that are just regular to me and like everyday occurrences that I don't share that people would probably be like astounded actually happened still. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was telling my husband, I was saying how anytime, um, like when I was younger, my aunts, whenever they would drive us around or whenever they would pick up my siblings, we'd like go to McDonald's or go to, you know, wherever. Um mm-hmm. Anytime a police officer drove past, they would always say, you know, sit up straight. They sure your seatbelts are um, buckled. And this is like from a young age that there's like this yeah. fear. Um, and then as you grow up, and that fear is real because of the experiences that they've had by being, I mean, I can, ex- I can explain experience after experience after experience. And it's not something that has been put in their mind because someone else told them, but it's because they had a negative experience of their own. And then you have that thought and then you grow up and you do the same thing, but then you still end up with a similar experience that like almost ingrains it in your brain even more. Um, My gosh, it's traumatizing. (laughs) Like, you know, when you really think about it, um, but people who don't have to deal like deal with that on a daily basis, when they hear it, it's like, wow, this is like a uncommon occurrence. This is like once in a lifetime type thing. It's like, no, this is literally every day, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And something that a lot of people are living with. And, you know, I feel like when it comes to trauma, you know, like there's so many pieces of this that are trauma happening from a young age is basically the building of trauma. And then you had an experience within your family this year that like, I mean, you just pray and hope and hope and hope and hope never happens to you or to your family or to people that you know. And unfortunately it does. And it did for you. Um, you know, are you, how do you feel talking about, um, the situation that happened with your brother? I know things are still going on right now. Um, you've shared a lot about it online and I definitely encourage folks to go check out your page and kind of, you know, watch the videos and and learn more information about how they can support you and your family. Um, but how do you feel just even talking about it? Like the fact that this was a reality that happened within your family. It's, a feeling I can't even explain into words, honestly. Um, I think it's because you constantly see things happen over and over with other people or friends or family, um, like relatives and stuff. And you just feel like it won't actually touch you. You Mm -hmm. do all that you can to be safe or to, you know, buckle your seatbelts or look the right way or do the exact thing and be the perfect Mm -hmm. black person. And then even in that, you still, it's not enough, which makes it even more difficult because then you realize, okay, this has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with just the system itself. But that is almost more scary because you feel like you have zero control over 
what could happen in the future to your family, to your potential children, if you want to have any. And for your listeners, um, my brother, he has a diagnosis um, where he has had a manic episode in the past. And he recently had a manic episode where my mother needed to call 911 to get help to help mm-hmm. de-escalate the situation. And when she called, um, sorry, this is very difficult, not because there's levels of difficulty, I feel, but I feel like it's difficult because you're reliving it and you mm-hmm. know to share the story to help not only my brother, but also help other people if needed, but also yeah. you have to work through your own stuff with it. Um, mm-hmm. So my mom, she called 911 to get someone to come de-escalate the situation. And instead, my brother was left with bullet wounds in his body and he was given a felony assault charge even though he didn't touch the officer that responded um the officer did not use any de-escalation at all um it just honestly makes me so much when I think about it um because I think in my head I thought granted I wasn't the one who made the call but I thought it's pretty cut and dry Mm-hmm. Um, the department was well aware of my brother's, um, diagnosis and they were well aware mm-hmm. of his history. And so it wasn't new to them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the officer that responded had been on the force for, I know, since 2019 of like December or like right at January, 2020. And this happened in March of this year. And he responded alone. I mean, there's just like a go into caveat of 50 million things. Um, Yeah. But I think with the situation, it's just really sad that not only did my brother not get help in any of it. Yeah. He was also given a felony charge, which can lead to prison time. And um, he was recently indicted. So, um, the state's attorney pretty much decided to skip most of the court process and speed up the process to pretty much get him into prison, which is honestly just so sad. Um, So his court date is in August and my family has just been really vocal about how not only is this not okay, but there's so many other people who have similar experiences Mm -hmm. with the police and their lack of de-escalation and really escalating situations that could have had a different outcome with proper training or a different system to support them um, and to support the families that just honestly need help. So all of it, there are layers and layers and living in a town that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's a lot. Um, But I do appreciate people who, like yourself and just so many of my other friends who have come alongside my family and have really encouraged us that there's a better way and we can mm-hmm. make it work if we all kind of come together. So, yeah, I know. But it's easy definitely to get really discouraged. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You have every reason to feel discouraged because rarely are we ever shown that actual justice is given or that any kind of actual accountability 
is even in the works for police officers when, you know, they are clearly not serving the community when they are acting as if they are fucking military at war with the communities that they're supposed to be serving. Um, All right. I want to take a short break right here because I know we're getting into some things in this episode. Okay. And as always, self-nourishment, taking time for yourself is super important. And no matter what is going on, you are always worthy of pleasure, no matter what. No matter what is going on, you are worthy of pleasure, okay, and nourishing yourself. So I'm very excited to share Dipsy once again. Uh, So thankful to have Dipsy as a sponsor of this podcast because like literally we all need an escape from shit sometimes. Sometimes there's just too much going on in the world and too much going on in our lives and you deserve a little escape. And Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories that are designed and will turn you on. And if you feel like you are having a hard time getting in the mood, right? If you feel like you just can't get your mind there, I highly, highly recommend using Dipsy and their audio stories because they feature characters that actually feel like real people and really, really like immersive scenarios where you're like, oh, wait, I'm in this. Like, this is happening to me. (laughs) And it helps really get you out of your head and into your pleasure. So highly, highly recommend Dipsy. They release new content every week. So there's always more to explore, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And y'all, some of my favorite things I love about them is that if you need to wind down, they also have wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. So maybe you're not like, yo, I'm ready to get down and dirty. I want to get some business, right? Maybe you're not like, you could always listen with your partner as well or partners, right? But maybe you're just like, you want some sensual bedtime story to help you go to sleep. That's always kind of been a little bit of my fantasy to help me fall asleep or even just to like de-stress myself is I'll just fantasize and that's my little escape and it's like my happy place (laughs) and Dipsy makes that so much easier for me. So I'm really excited again to have them as a sponsor and for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Taylor. That's 30 days of full access for free. 30 days for free. (laughs) So you really have nothing to lose here. And I mean, there's no reason to wait here. Like you are worthy of pleasure now. (laughs) After this episode, (laughs) you could go download Dipsy's app, enter the code Taylor, and that's 30 days of full access for free. So go to dipsystories.com. That's D-I-P-S-E-A stories dot com slash Taylor. Again, that's dipsystories.com slash Taylor for a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Taylor. I hope you all enjoy that one because it is a major, major fave for me. So with all of that said, we can now get back into it. Let's get back to the show. I'm I'm wondering kind of what the response has felt like for you, you know, when you have been vulnerable and shared all of this online and asked people for support, you know, how that's felt for you to kind of be in that position and and have that experience. I think the craziest thing to me has been that honestly, I I knew our justice system was honestly messed up. Like I already knew that, but when you're in it, 
there's so much stuff I can't even share as this being like an ongoing case, but there's just mm-hmm. the level of just things that happen that people can make happen if they want to make happen. Oh yeah. Um, it's just scary that the justice system can be moved in the way that it is. Um, mm-hmm. For example, for those listening, um, this happened back in March and my family and I really, um, the only thing we asked was the charges to be dropped against Gregory. And literally that's the only thing for two months. We didn't say anything. Um, we were not public. We did mm-hmm. not do anything. And we just reached out to state's attorney and said, Hey, drop these charges, sending someone to prison, obviously isn't going to help someone's mental illness. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to further create harm. Um, and really there was no movement at all. And then the day after we spoke out, the state's attorney reached out to my family and they said that they wanted to offer to drop the charge of a misdemeanor. This is literally 24 hours mm-hmm. after yeah, people on social media were calling and blowing up people's emails. And I think what was crazy to me is like, you make a decision on someone's life. And this is someone who's never been in prison, who doesn't have, I mean, the most cut and dry things. Yeah. And you make a decision on someone's life based on social media. I mean, people calling you and emailing you and that's frustrating you. So you decide to make a lifelong decision like that after 24 hours. Um, it's just scary how the system can move. Yeah. But I think it also is encouraging to me because we're the ones making that movement. And by, I think I didn't realize how strong social media and people and calling and emailing can actually like what it can actually do mm-hmm. until this, um, you know, cause people share things all the time on social media and you were just like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll I think call, that's I'll, yeah, I think that's important too. Cause I think a lot of people, when they see stuff that it's kind of like, oh, well, if I email, does that even matter? You know, what, if I call, what's that really going to do? And you're kind of sharing from your own personal experience that that actually makes a huge difference because unfortunately (laughs) these offices and elected officials uh, react and under pressure. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's, it's, so with that, they offered to drop the charges and they also offered to have mental health recovery court, um, which there's, so many things I could say about that as well. I don't know if we have a problem with podcast. Um, yeah. But um, after that, um, another offer was made, which I haven't actually made public yet. This is honestly, it's very, like all of it is, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's every time that people on social media reach out just in an influx, every single time we're contacted. Mm-hmm. Um it's just sad that you can care more about what people think of you or what people say to you or the pressure you're under than someone's actual life um, and getting them help or what they need. And for your listeners who just aren't aware, the second time that um, we had like any outreach from the state's attorney was when my mother went public with how the police department treated her. Um, 
and that wasn't until probably like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and how she was detained at the police station for hours and questioned without an attorney when my brother's life was still on the line and they didn't know if he would even live and he was going through yeah. surgery. Um, he wasn't moving his limbs. He wasn't breathing on his own. And they were held and detained there. And then our home was searched and it was searched before a um, search warrant was provided. And then when it was provided, we were told that this was protocol for when a police officer shoots someone. Um, They had drone footage at my mom's house. And after this, they released dash cam footage, I'd say like a month or maybe two after. Um, and the dash cam footage was edited, but my mother's address was left in the footage. I mean, just a plethora of things that are honestly unimaginable for anyone, but yeah. someone who has had to, I know my mom's an incredibly strong woman, but going through the trauma of watching your shot son be shot multiple times and then by the people you feel like are supposed to be there to help you and then having to deal with being held in a police department and held for hours and then while my brother was in the hospital recovering he was there for think three weeks I can't remember um while he was there the police went there when my mother wasn't there and she was there literally all the time so I don't know Mm -hmm. how they really made that happen in that time frame I'm assuming she was either in the bathroom or went to get lunch or something and two officers went in to my brother's hospital room without an attorney present without anyone present and just with all of that, and the only thing that we've asked is for the charges to be dropped, it's just a really, really, really sad situation. Yeah. They're being shady as fuck. And I can't even explain the levels of it yet. Um, yeah. Once everything is um, over, there's, I mean, even more that's just, you think the system's dirty, but then you realize it's like, way worse than yeah. you can imagine it's it's dirty dirty mm-hmm. dirtier than like christina aguilera dirty it is <laughs> i mean that's so corrupt and it just i remember when i first you know saw your first post i just my brain just could not wrap my head around it like how do you find it in yourself to respond to a call for a man who you know has a history of manic episodes you have that history you have that information this is a call to help de-escalate a current present manic episode you then shoot this person they don't touch you and you charge them with assault. 
where does that add up in any sort of reason or logic or justice? And I, for those listening, just, I feel like I should give a warning before talking in depth about this part, because I feel like for me, hearing this, honestly, is just gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching. But after they shot him, he continued to harm himself. And it's honestly so sad that you can, so sorry. No, it's okay. That you can see someone who is continuing to harm themselves for, it was at least two minutes. Mm-hmm. And you just watch. I mean, if that's considered the level of de-escalation, if that's considered de-escalation at all, yeah. I mean, I it it makes me fearful for what every other family has to go through or will go through mm-hmm. with departments that have literally the exact system in place, which is all. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. It's just gets yeah. me really emotional. Yeah. I mean, that's very reasonable that that would do that for you. I mean, it's so unjust and so heartbreaking. I just feel like I want to hurt somebody when I hear it. Uh, And it's not my own experience, you know, but I mean, I really hope that you're able to hold space for yourself. And I do want to get into kind of what, you know, self-nourishment and care has looked like for you during everything. Um, you know, but I think that this is the part that folks miss about police departments and just the whole system of policing where when we say defund them, they have the most amount of funding. They, the amount of funding that they get compared to any other like department is mind blowing and they are there to serve and protect, but they have shown repeatedly that especially with black folks that they are interacting with what they perceive to be a threat and a danger, not a human not a human to serve and protect because like you just put it, how do you as a human who is apparently trained in de-escalation to serve and protect your community, how do you go into a home, see someone harming themselves and shoot them and not provide any kind of care? The only reasonable explanation of that for me is that Gregory was not human. Yeah. And I think what's sad is when you're supported in that thought Mm -hmm. by the state's attorney who said repeatedly that those shots were justified with multiple shots being when my brother was on the ground, four shots in total. When you have someone who is, in a position of power telling your whole department 
that that was what was supposed to happen. And it's like protocol or procedure. I mean, that's a problem. It's not. It's not even procedure. They just say it to cover their asses because they've made it their off the books procedure. Exactly. And it's just, you know, when you talk about self-care, I, I feel like I have really had to lean into just being thankful that my brother is alive. I I know there's so many other families who have not Mm-hmm. had the same outcome, which is so sad. And then yeah. not only have they not had the outcome, while they're grieving over a life, they're having to advocate for justice. I mean, I talk to my family all the time and I tell them, you know, I could not do this. I could not do this if my brother hadn't made it. And I just, I grieve for the families who are still fighting for mm-hmm. all of their children or siblings who yeah. aren't with us. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I honestly couldn't imagine. Um, yeah. I feel like I've had to really lean into that a lot just to make it through each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and being on social media, just in general, talking about stuff like this. Yeah. It's hard. And I have a lot of, friendships on social media who are white and Mm -hmm. within sharing this it's also opened up for people to want me to educate them and not the time boo not the time not the time and not you almost I think sometimes people forget that the stuff that's happening is like it's not just another another person you know like it's not just another not just another police shooting. It's not just another thing. Um, you know, I've had people who, I don't know, you just, the way that people talk sometimes is like, it's not my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. they have good intentions, not saying that they don't, but it's, it's almost like it's just an, another one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, because people are getting numb to it it's becoming normalized. So it's, it it really should be this thing that is like earth shattering and, oh my goodness, this is so unacceptable. And we are enraged by this and we should never allow this within our, you know, systems within our culture, but it has become so normalized that it's just kind of, oh, it's, yeah, it's another thing. But I think again, the point that people miss here, like when I see these things happen, it's especially the more and more that I am getting closer and closer with my black family is like, no, not only is that person a person and I should care just because of that on its own, but it also hits home because that could be my brother. That could be my dad. That could be one of my sisters. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be one of my cousins. That could be anyone in my family. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I'm wondering for you, with now this literally being your family and having a lot of white friends, you know, they're wanting you to kind of educate. It sounds like, you know, are you feeling like there are some of your friends and support systems that are white that get it and that are feeling really supportive of you? Or are you kind of feeling like, you know, it's opening up a lot of things around like, well, who, who is my community kind of yes. stuff. I think 
all of that for sure. Um, I feel like the ones that I feel are white that are supportive, I can really count on one hand that actually get it. Yeah. Um, that get like all of it, not just this happening or a one-off or, Mm -hmm. um, I want to support, but I don't know how, I don't know what to say, educate me. Um, I can count on one hand people who actually get it, but I can count on even less fingers, white people who get it, but who continue to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I've just learned a lot about just, you know, the people after this happened who continue to show up, people I've never met, people who live in my community, who didn't even have to say anything, but mm-hmm. felt so deeply for me and what I was going through with my family. They were all black. Um, and I think it's because you, like you said, you see it in your family, you see it in yourself, you see it in people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a hard thing when you share something that's so that's so important to you and should be to a lot of other people yeah. and tons of people share it. Tons of people say they're going to support tons of people say they're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then two months after they still say, I want to support that they want you to guide them in how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, like I, I keep saying, there's so many levels to all of this. Um, and I feel like, like the ones who are white that really get it, who don't have to ask me how to show up or don't ask me when to show up, um, mm-hmm. are very few and far between. Yeah. I wish we lived closer and could hang. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> me too. Because, yeah, it's like it's so not a time that you want to feel alone in, you know, where you are kind of questioning your community. I mean, I think I think there are so many experiences that, like, Black people specifically can just show up for because they get it. Even if they're not experiencing it personally, directly, they get it. Like, and that has really hit me this last year too, of just like, oh, wait, actually all the black people that are in my life get this and are like here for me. And I think it's sad that like I found, I mean, working in social media, we kind of know what moves things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I didn't expect that Like if I share a graphic or if I share a video, if I share something, if someone's black, they're sharing it regardless. Um, Mm -hmm. At least anyone who's in my circle, whether they're super close to me or not, um, they recognize it's important. Mm -hmm. But what I found with a lot of white people is that the videos that were shared or the things that were shared were the most traumatic. Oh, Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you almost don't you have to constantly show up in a really vulnerable way. And it's like, you have to share in a new way and be more vulnerable. And that is traumatizing to the person who has went through that experience, but sharing a graphic or sharing, you know, a picture 
is different than me crying or my brother being shot on dash cam or my brother, a picture of him in the hospital. And you see what they share. And Mm -hmm. it almost is like, it's sad because we shouldn't have to go to those lengths to get people to care. Yeah. It's like, Oh, this is what I got to do to make it real for you. This is what I got to do to try to get some kind of compassion or empathy from you. And like you said, yeah, it should just be the fact that you're a person and that this happened and that it's fucking absurd and should never have happened in the first place. Like that's all it should take. Um, and I mean, you mentioned working on social media and, you know, I guess somewhat to transition subject here, but also slightly on it, you know, you, I'm imagining now have felt kind of this like transition on your feed, in your work to asking people for help with this experience. Whereas before it was not that, not this, right? Um, wondering kind of if you want to touch on that part at all, um, because social media is your work. Yeah. I mean, before this, I have always been extremely supportive in literally anything that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like you don't ever know what anyone else is doing, you know, behind the scenes, like you just assume like, Oh, this person was shot unjustly. So we're all going to step up and we're all going to like be good humans and try Mm -hmm. to make this better. Um, So you do what you can and you feel like people are doing what they can. And I think like I've just learned so much through all of this. Um, like we were able to see the emails that came through because when we put an email template up, mm-hmm. we very easy email template where you literally click a button and it sends the email to the yeah. state's attorney saying, drop the charges. This is what we're asking. Um, and we were CC'd on the email and everyone who sent the email could see that we were CC'd. And you can see how quickly people lose interest until you create new information for them, um, until you share something new. Even when the situation hasn't changed, it's almost like, I don't know. I, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's a, it can be a very defeating feeling Mm-hmm. constantly seeing that you have to always show up and always share and always yeah. relive this trauma over and over and over again to get people to continue mm-hmm. to care. Um, yeah. And it was very hard for me to ask people to do anything because I feel like I've always just been the type of person who I don't ask you for anything. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, I don't like hearing people say no when I feel like something is really important. Um, And that was really hard to see where people who I was following and felt like were friends or people in my life who I feel like I've always been close with, you ask them to show up in the most basic way of sending Mm -hmm. an email template or calling a number and leaving a voicemail. And you don't get that response from them um yeah really hard to work through that like 
really hard and I had to learn to easily cut people out of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, which there's all of that in all of this situation. And it's like, that's why I keep going back to, I can't imagine people who have lost family members because not only are they navigating losing family, they're navigating the hate people bring online or the questions people bring online, people who want to support, but they want you to continue to show up and relive this trauma over and over again. Um, People who say that they're going to show up, but then you have to hand them everything on a silver platter for them to actually do it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, and I think sometimes people, I actually was talking to a girl um, not too long ago and for about a month and a half, um, this was all that I was doing. Just like reaching out to people, reaching out to friends, reaching out to news, reaching out to anyone. Um, because I saw that after that first day, it actually created change where if we kept that same momentum, it would continue to create change and the charges would be dropped. Yeah. I mean, look at everything that had to happen after George Floyd was murdered for this man to get what was it, 25 years? Yes. Which people get literally for having weed. Literally. And, so. it's, <laughs> and I think sometimes people forget. And honestly, I didn't know this. I think I always thought that there were people like, you know, behind the scenes, like moving things. But it's the families. Like, it's mm-hmm. like we're the ones who sent the emails. We're the ones who created the graphics. We're the ones who constantly made the videos. My mom has been the one who's been in the news and we've constantly reached out or people reached out to us. I mean, I've done, I did a three hour interview with a very well-known. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That too. And well-known, like it would have been a very, very large broadcast and three hours. And the story was dropped. You know, it's just you. For I'm sorry, they had you speak about this for three hours and didn't air it. Yes. Who do I need to call? <laughs> yeah. Three hours. Three hours. Multiple your- interviews. It was a total of three hours, and and that was not the only time. And I think that people forget that it's like, we're the ones who constantly have to create and talk and share for this to move. And that in itself is a whole nother level of just trauma. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I empathize so much with people who lost family because if my brother mm-hmm. wasn't alive, I yeah. really would just be like, frick the system. I mean, it's just yeah. like, what are you going to do? We're just going to wallow because there's no way that I could grieve and also handle all of this at the Mm -hmm. same time. And this is only, I don't want to say only because it feels honestly like it's been forever, but we went public May 10th Mm -hmm. and it happened March 5th. Yeah. It's now end of July. And he had two court dates that were moved. Um, and he just had the um, hearing, I think it was the end of last month. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's people who are still fighting and it's been, yeah. you know, years. So, yeah. And so for folks 
who want to do things to help, who want to share, who want to call, who want to email, all of that is on your page. Um, and so I just want to kind of direct people to go there to check it out and to get involved. Is there anything other than what is on your page or that you want to share, um, for folks to just do anything that they can to help? Just constantly showing up that alone is enough because that's all we know how to do. And by Mm -hmm. showing up, I mean, calling the state's attorney, emailing the state's attorney multiple times as much as you can to let him know that this is not okay and to drop the charges against Gregory. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, obviously, I mean, that's my brother, but I feel like to anyone, it should just be like, this is the bare minimum. Like this is the bare minimum that my brother doesn't go to prison and he's still like learning how to move his body and like, He's still learning. Like he just learned how to like walk and speak and breathe. And that's the bare minimum. And so I would encourage people listening or just anyone that, I mean, that's the bare minimum we're asking. So at least do the bare minimum. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I do. I carry so much anger in myself with all this because it just like rightfully so, like I don't feel embarrassed or ashamed or anything about my anger because it's a thousand percent justified. Um, even if, even if Gregory had touched this man, he did not deserve to be in a position where he's now having to like learn how to walk. Mm-hmm. That is not acceptable and that should not be acceptable to anybody and if you're sitting there trying to figure out how to justify it Mm -hmm. you are wrong you are completely wrong and literally going against human rights yeah and I think like before all of this my Instagram was solely for like outfits and positivity and it's always been and always will be but with this part of my life being something that is so sad and huge it makes me even more focused on advocating for people who don't Mm -hmm. have a platform I mean I couldn't imagine what it would be like reaching out to anyone with zero platform um I mean that would be just a really daunting task and Mm -hmm. thankfully my sister she is the president of the Black Lives Matter chapter here in my hometown, which as yeah. I told you, it's a very small town. Um, yeah. And because of that and her working for the state, she has a ton of connections on a state level. Yeah. So between the both of us, she has a network of local connections and I have a connection with mm-hmm. people on the internet. It just was kind of both of those things that were needed to share. Yeah. Which but, is nice but also like literally this happens to everyday folks who have no platform and have no connections and even if you don't have connections and even if you don't have a platform you still deserve to have the fucking help to deal with something like this because it's unacceptable it is not protocol and it is just straight up murder Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and that's why i just i 
going back to just like being thankful, like it, I feel like, like what if I hadn't gotten to this type of work or what if my sister didn't work for the state or what if my Mm -hmm. brother didn't make it just all these things, um, would have made it that much harder. Yeah. And I'm really, really hoping that the state's attorney does the bare freaking minimum, Mm -hmm. um, and drops the charges because, yeah. And like I said, the only thing that has moved him and he's spoken to people on the phone for an hour, hour and a half. I mean, he's answering people's phone calls, but with that, he is sharing confidential information about my brother's history and his past with his, yes, with his diagnosis. And, And I always have been incredibly transparent. And if you yeah. go to my speak out highlight, you can see literally every video I've made, every post I made about this. Um, and we've seen him shift and make an offer or make offers, call yeah. us and connect with us because of that push. So I really hope that he just sends the bear freaking them. Yeah. Well, again, I'll have all of that listed in the episode notes. And again, folks, just go to Instagram. I do want to touch on your Instagram a little bit here because like you mentioned, you know, it was very like, these are your outfits and just staying really positive. And your whole thing is that you're like neutral. Your whole feed, the aesthetic is beautiful. I cannot, that takes a lot of dedication and strategy and wondering if you do want to share a bit of kind of what that meant for you to curate your platform in the way that you have with positivity, with neutral loungewear and kind of where that significance or where that purpose and intention came from for you. So what's funny is this is actually something I've never shared. Um, I initially started wearing neutral pieces initially, and this is years ago Yeah, because I always felt like rich white people wore neutrals and I kid you not like that's yeah. literally where it started um and I think with me wanting to assimilate to the community I was in yeah. and be a part of that that's what I started wearing mm-hmm. but as you see from my feed I'm not wearing, <laughs> I'm not wearing the stuff that they're wearing now um mm-hmm. you know you stuff is so hella cute <laughs> thank and you I'm thank like, you i need to get that Where's thank you that? so that's how it started but then i really came into just my love for fashion and i actually grew up um as a kid just wearing big tees you know big baggy shorts people would always say like oh you love climbing trees like that was just me growing up and i always felt like fashion wasn't for me because i felt like it had to be a certain way um, Mm -hmm. to be fashionable as a woman. And growing up, I just realized that my style is a mix of neutral pieces, but also lots of big baggy oversized things. And if that's what I love, then I should make it be what I wear all the time. And I shouldn't Mm -hmm. try to fit into what people say or think is fashionable or not. Um, So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the compliment by the way because I just I never saw myself as fashionable I do now not trying to do my own but mm-hmm. you know 
Um, Imposter syndrome is hella real. Yes, it is. It's hard. (laughs) And I've really grown into my fashion, just like loving and wearing what I want to wear whenever I want to wear it. It's the big key. Um, you know, if it's a big baggy pair of shorts, if it's three different, four different, five different things layered on one another, all different Mm -hmm. shades of beige, um, it's what I want to wear. And I've just gotten really comfortable with that. But I also think a lot of that I can attribute to last year and being home and being with myself a lot more. I feel like I had to really like work through a lot. Um, like with my hair, I started Mm -hmm. wearing my hair in Afro last March. Yeah. And, um, that's kind of when I really, really got into wearing what I actually wanted to wear whenever I want to wear it. Like Mm -hmm. I look at the time I'm going to an event, um, later today in my town. And as you can imagine in a small town, nobody is really dressing like undressing or looking like I'm looking. And you have to be incredibly comfortable to walk in, in a crop top sneakers and some big baggy oversized shorts and a big baggy you know whatever to a group of people who are used to the exact opposite Mm -hmm. I've just really become comfortable with myself and that's when I really started wearing what I loved and a big part of that is neutral so yeah no that makes so much sense I mean I'm glad you shared that because I even think you know part of what comes up for me in that is like yeah, I mean, growing up with my white mom and my white stepdad, like I would straighten my hair all the time and I would wear the kinds of clothes that my mom would wear, which was like very bright colored and very like preppy almost. Mm-hmm. And the more that I really sat with myself and was like, well, what feels like comfortable for me? You know, even getting braids for the first time, like never gotten braids in my life, but now that I have them, it feels in some ways, very me and in other ways, very not me, but it's like a weird feeling like I'm coming home in a way as well. And even noticing, you know, going to my uh, neighborhood block party where, I mean, there actually was, there were two other black families there, but it is predominantly white and of like, oh yeah, when I was like 20, I would have my hair straightened and I'd probably have some blonde highlights in there and I'd be so much less threatening to these like old white people, you know, and now I'm coming in with my braids and I'm like, hi. (laughs) And you know, it's the, all the comments, Um, but of being comfortable in that and doing that interpersonal work to be able to say, yeah, this is actually me and this is how I'm going to show up. And you might feel uncomfortable with that, but that is for you to sit with. And I'm not going to change myself to try to assimilate and blend in with what makes you feel comfortable anymore, because all that does is invalidate my authenticity in a way. Yeah, And I think that goes back to just like all the stuff I feel like as just black people, we have to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just, I can think of example after example, like I never wore long nails like ever yeah. until like not that long ago, I'd say a couple of years ago. Um, because I wanted to be viewed in a certain way. Yeah. I never listened to my music loud when I pulled into a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I always kept it low because I didn't want to be viewed yeah. in a certain way pulling into that neighborhood. Um, And I think just small things like that you have to work through that whatever view they have of you is their view and they have to sit with that and you have to let it go. Because honestly, regardless of whether I have long nails, short nails, loud music, not loud, 
they're going to view me in whatever way they want anyway. Exactly. So. Yeah. And it doesn't and, matter how perfect you are, how perfect you try to make yourself be. That doesn't change your skin color. That doesn't change how they see you. I mean, in your most vulnerable state, you know, just use an example of your brother. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It really doesn't. And it's, I wish that someone had told me that in my, I don't know, middle school for sure in high school. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, when I was working at Abercrombie, bone straightened oh. my hair. Oh, Abercrombie. Polo tees I didn't even like and couldn't even fit into and definitely yes. couldn't afford. Um, yes. I wish that someone had told me that then, yeah. um, that it doesn't matter how much you're trying to fit in because you're still going to be seen as an other. So you might as well just be yourself and let the people who actually want to connect with you, connect with you, regardless of how they, mm-hmm. like someone else might perceive you because that's who you want in your life anyway. And yeah. I don't know. I just wish that someone had told me that then. Yeah. I feel that too. I wish somebody would have said the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, through doing a lot of that unpacking is like, that's where self-compassion comes into play where like, you know, we can't beat ourselves up for the fact that nobody encouraged us in that way or that, you know, we can't take back what our experiences have been, but finding where that is one piece of our story. And we've learned so much from that. And there's so much more we can do and how we navigate throughout our lives in a place of authenticity and confidence and comfortability within who we are as humans, um, I think can be a really beautiful thing. Granted, it would be great to be able to do that without all the bullshit, but you know, that's a lot of that is not in our power. And I think too, it's like, I'm 29 this year, 28 right now. Like I'm almost 30 and I spent so much of my life trying to fit into something that I honestly wasn't ever going to fit into anyway. And like you said, you can't blame yourself, but I really hope that I can be a better, I don't want to say better because I think the people in my life, they did with what they knew how to Mm -hmm. in that time. Yeah. Um, But I hope I can be a good example to people to just be themselves in whatever way they want to show up. Um, And that whatever way they want to show up is good and that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I do think that a generation before us or before me, I guess, I'm the same age. I'm 28. Oh, are you really? Yeah, I just oh, turned I 28. You, are you really? For some reason, I thought you were like 26 or 25 or something. <laughs> no, I look like I'm a child sometimes, but... You're a grown yeah. woman. I am. I got fucking homeowner's insurance. So oh, I was like, I'm an adult. <laughs> I'm a real grown. Um, but I think the generation before us was... Did really want to come in as quietly and as mm-hmm. as I don't want to say nicely but just come in as quietly as they could just to yeah. be in the room and just be present was good mm-hmm. um but now I think our generation and the generation after us even more so is like yeah. I want to come in the room but I want to speak in the room I want to be in the middle of the room I, I might burn be it down yeah <laughs> and tell you this is how we're going to rebuild it right, we're going to rebuild it yeah and that's what I love to see and that's why I say that that generation they did with what they could with what they had um mm-hmm. but I just hope that we continue to just do better be yeah. better as much as we can be yeah well 
I'm so happy to know you. So happy to know you too. Yeah, because I think you're really beautiful inside and out. And the internet is such a weird place. I hate it for so many reasons, but, you know, I also love it. And I love that I can feel connected and feel seen and, you know, relate to people who do live so far away that I honestly probably never would have met in my life if it wasn't for the weirdness of the interwebs of Instagram. Um, I would love for you to share a bit about kind of where people can find you, give your handle, um, all of it will be listed in the episode notes, but um, would love for you to kind of share all of that so that people can get engaged and maybe feel connected and, you know, do some of their own healing from just kind of seeing you live in your authenticity as well. You can find me everywhere at Shaughnessy Schroeder. Um, YouTube, Instagram is where I primarily hang out. I'm like a little bit on TikTok, but not for real. Um, mm-hmm. So Shaughnessy Schroeder, S-H-A-W-N-A-C-I-S-C-H-R-O-E-D as in dog, E-R. Um, it's a mouthful, but adding into this, of me coming into my own three years ago, mm-hmm. being very confident in my name and making people say it right and making people yeah. say the full name. And that for me is really important. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I appreciate that you even asked like exactly how to say it too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, um, so I always like to, especially in podcasts, say mm-hmm. it, spell it, confident in it. Cause I definitely have not always been. Yeah. Well, I can already tell there's so many parts of like your inner child that you've like worked to heal and help feel seen and speak up for and stand up for. And I think that's really like, whenever I think about it, I'm like, this is really like honorable work that we are showing up for ourselves. And even though it upsets other people, even though it changes how we interact with other people, we are going to stand by our fucking selves. Like we are not going to abandon ourselves. We are going to stand up for her and be there with her. And yeah. And I, I see so much of myself in you and I hope you see the same in me, mm-hmm. but I hope that other people who listen or who like yeah. get to know us, like they can see themselves in us. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it'll give people confidence to just like keep being themselves and mm-hmm. like confidence to try new things. Like raids or you know whatever yeah. they freaking want to long nails like mm-hmm. loud music whatever you know yeah. it's just I just I hope that our generation and the next one continues to keep being like bold in ourselves because um we're not like quiet anymore we're not like our parents yeah, yeah. <laughs> and fuck that shit we don't need to be quiet right, right. <laughs> you don't gotta listen you can go away you don't have to listen to me but I got shit I need to say <laughs> yes 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 well thank you so much for your time and your energy and your vulnerability um and coming on the podcast I appreciate it so much and I know our listeners do and um would love to have you on the podcast again in the future at some point I would love that thank you so much for having me this was great just felt like I was just gonna hook out hanging out like just chilling like that's the vibe that I love for podcasts so this is great yeah thank you 
All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing. Help save lives. And so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.